Hi, this is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations. And um, we, as always, have some very interesting and informative guests. Um, so I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, some of them are fun and some of them have just really important information to share. We've done about, I don't know, close to 3,000 interviews now over the years. And I think um, people tend to appreciate the, the information they're getting from us. So here goes for today. I am talking with Jarrell Hamilton and Jazz Johnson, both of whom are extremely accomplished dancers with a significant track record in uh, the work they've been doing here and elsewhere around the country and world. Explain the New Orleans dance scene from all perspectives. Uh, to to me as 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 you see it and as and as is important to you, and um, jazz, you want to start? Um, you you want to grow and have opportunities, so you go elsewhere. You go to New York City, or uh, Atlanta, or LA, or even Houston, um, because there's more work to be done and training and connections, and here. In my opinion, I just feel like our talent is so raw that we we just don't package it for it to sell or to be a, a production or um, it's just kind of, it's just so natural. Everybody's a dancer, everybody naturally dances that, you know, it's really not lucrative here. So you go other places. And also we're very known for our movement and our style and our sound, but I don't know because it's so small that it doesn't get um, enough traction, I feel like, to, uh, to produce here. Like, you know, I don't see anybody really wanting to produce and set up shop here for um, young people to grow. So you always go other places to, uh, to learn and, and to move on in your career. Um, that's basically what I did. I, I trained at NOCA and Nardinoba. Um, and then I studied elsewhere, like an Alvin Ailey in the summertime. And then I was like, okay, I want to go to school for this. So I went to SUNY Purchase and I studied there and then I moved to the city. And I had a career, but then there was something in me that I wanted to come home to like create something of my own and to also like give back to where I come from because if I can do it, everybody could do it, right? So it's like, you gotta reach back and like kind of um, create what's missing. And that's what I'm doing on my journey um, since I moved back in 2016. And I created, um, a brand called Twerk Nola and Twerk Shop Party. Um, and I felt that it was perfect for me to come back home and to, to, uh, to, um, to create a, like a package and, and sell it because it's my culture. It's something I, I grew up doing and I traveled around the world and I came back and I had this idea, okay, everybody loves New Orleans, so let's give them a piece of us. So I think um, as artists, we didn't and we don't get the knowledge of creating like businesses too, because as dancers, that's all it is. You know, you can 
you can create something, you can open a studio. Um, so I feel like moving forward, I would love to see more um, classes or courses offered to dancers, um, like running a business. And I think it's up to us to create the things that are missing. So, you know, Jarrell is doing her thing, you know, creating repertoire and, 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 and creating with other artists and creating visuals which is, you know, it's showing, it's showcasing us, but we need more of that. Um, and we need money, we need funding, we need people to feed back into the very culture that they take from. So, yeah, Jarrell. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, when you use the word um, robust, Jean, I think it's perspective, right? Because New Orleans has a very robust scene. It's the population that you have in LA and that in New York that gets people's work out there more. And so um, New Orleans has and has always since Congo Square had a robust scene. <laughs> um, the birthplace of jazz came from New Orleans, right? Um, jazz dance came from New Orleans. Um, all of all of that, all all of culture that you see in American culture comes from all of the music and the dance comes from New Orleans and Southern culture. So I think it's just been a thing of, you know, New Orleans doesn't have a really large population. So you're unable, while somebody may post something on Instagram and TikTok in, in New Orleans and it may be a hit here, if somebody posts it in LA. Or, or, or New York, it's gonna it's gonna go global, right? Because of the number of people that are there. Um, big shout out to KM Dance Project because they just recently received the National Performance Network. They were the first company to receive that here in New Orleans. So I think making strides like that, funding coming to New Orleans, funding New Orleans artists and cultural bearers really opens the gateway for more Southern artists to be seen. And so, um. When we use when we use when we say the word robust, may it's perspective. It's all perspective. Maybe not on the level of New York and in, in, in LA, but our robust is different. Our work has a lot of depth. Our work is very New Orleans artists and even Southern artists work is very rooted. Um, point in case what jazz is doing, right? With the twerk Nola. People just see it as oh, she's shaking her ASS. I'm not gonna say it on a podcast, but really it's it's getting deeper into self-love and inclusion and body inclusion and also just this sacred wombness, right? That that women that women have and really just loving on your body so she is but while some folks may see it from perspective of oh it's pop you know and it's it's just it's just uh hip-hop right no it's very deeply rooted into who she is and loving and, and loving oneself right and so um yeah, that's the scene with New Orleans. It's been robust. It's going to continue to be robust. We just need platforms like like this, like Creative Alliance and podcasts to keep talking about it and keep saying, hey, we do have a dancing. We do have things going on, but we need the resources. We need um, we need a helping hand. We need, you know, big organizations to help push what it is that we're doing forward, not take what it is that we're doing, but help advance it and support it. So um, what I'm hearing uh, in part is it's, it's the lack of the business capacity, which has dogged this city for as long as I've been here. And I've been here since the early 70s. And uh, I worked with a lot of musicians more than dancers. 
And I heard the musicians year after year talk about how they are not, um, uh, they haven't been able to advance their uh, opportunities, not their craft, but their opportunities because of um, a lack of um, everything from intellectual property rights to uh, legal work that would give them the kind of contracts that they needed to, in order to advance what they were doing. Um, it, it's about business practices to a great extent. It is about support and we are underfunded. And that's one of the projects that actually my organization is working on. And that is trying to find ways to um, uh, change the revenue stream and to bring more money into the, into the arts, uh, whether it's through um, grants and support or investment in businesses. So um, I, I realize that that's something that really needs to change. And uh, it has to be worse for dance than music uh, because dance has always had a harder time, even in New York. I mean, yes, there's Alvin, Alvin Ailey, uh, Next Generation. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, it, it's, it's always been an art form that has a, had a challenging time of getting the support it needs. But um, let's talk about the, the roots of the dance uh, here and um, how, again, you would uh, portray uh, that as different from what you're seeing coming from other communities. Right. So the roots of New Orleans dance, in short, is Haitian movement, Senegambian, um, Irish dance, um, what else? West African, all of those enslaved Africans that came across the water. And it's a, it's improvisation, right? So at Congo Square, the enslaved Africans would gather on Sundays and they would do their native movement. Oh, I'm sorry, please. I forgot one more indigenous group, Native American. <laughs> Woo. So all of all of those movements is indicative of what New Orleans dance is. Um, the Haitian movement, when you see second line, second line is indigenous to New Orleans. Twerk, before it was twerk, it was called pee popping. So pee popping is indicative. Um, the Black Mardi Gras Indian movement is, which is Native American movement, is indigenous to New Orleans movement. So just to give you some examples of, of what that looks like, when you see a second line and you see people really, and you see people shrugging their shoulders, right? That comes from Haitian movement. Haitians do that when they're doing their getes or their get day or their, um, their parades in Haiti. When you see the movement of the feet, right? All of that is West African as well as South African movement. Um, what else? The native also, the second line also comes from the Native American movement when they're doing their footwork. So all of that is, is just a gumbo of all of those people that came into, into New Orleans as well as, as well as Irish movement. Some Irish movement is is in that the clogging and the footwork is also in second line they don't talk about that but it is true yes honey you can have that so that that's how i would describe or, or would describe um new orleans uh rooted movement um okay so i want to uh, pick up with um bounce and um your package i want to hear about the package you're talking about so now you're moving towards being able to take this into the realm of on the business side. I wanna hear how you're doing that. 
so basically as a dancer, you know, I've studied, I just, I don't come from just twerking or like bounce music. I'm a trained dancer. So I've taken all of those elements and, you know, try to make it a little bit, um, uh, I want everybody to relate to it. So I, I want your grandmother to be able to see something and be inspired by it. So I just, like I say, my thing is twerking with class. So, you know. Twerking with what? With class. So with that class. everybody can feel comfortable. You know, I don't want anybody, because you shouldn't be ashamed of doing this type of movement. It's nothing to be ashamed about. And it's really not, um, it's perspective, but it's not just sexual. It has nothing to do with that. It's just, you know, being free with your body. And um, it's liberating. So. Uh, I just try to make it more appealing for everybody, whereas whether you're young or old. Um, and, you know, I put it into a little boat and have them prices and you support a small business. And I also, you know, I took taking out loans for school. I'm like, I have to make this, you know, become something, you know, use what I've uh, learned throughout my years and then, you know, try to benefit from it. So. And what are you seeing amongst the younger um, kids? Where are they, uh, again, on this uh, spectrum of the traditional and the new? So again, you know, the, the young folks always come up with what, what we have um, offered them, uh, but then they take it someplace else. So um, when, you, when you teach your students jazz and, and, and Terrell, when you, uh, mingle with your um, students and international. What what um, where where what are they doing? What what's up with them? Uh, what what do they see in what you're doing, and and what are they bringing to it? Carol, would you like to go first? Yeah. Um, the way I teach is I co-teach with my students, and I always give them this sense of agency in the work that we do. So, what do I mean by that? I teach them the rhythms of New Orleans. I teach them the bambula. I teach them um, the clave, right? And then I see where they go from there with it. I said, okay, now put your own spin to it. Or I'll teach them, I'll give them a concept of what this, tra what this tradition is about, right? So the, the concept will be what the tradition is, right? Or the philosophy behind it. And then I see where they take it from there. So I give them, I give them basic content and knowledge, but then for them to be inspired by, to create their own. So I'm giving them, yeah, I'm giving them the tradition, but then I'm asking them to put their own spin to it. And from there, that's where that's 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 them having a sense of agency and also taking it, taking it a step further. So that's what I do when I teach. Do you um, do you uh, video or uh, record uh, in some way what you're doing and, and how? do you uh, try to make sure that other people are aware of what you're doing? So, you know, if, oh. if you know, I, I, I didn't know about either one of you, I knew Monique and I actually worked on a production with her called the Ninth Ward Improv Opera. She did all the dance. Um, so uh, how do you, um, how do you get the word out about what you're doing? I have a website. Um, I also have a social media page, Facebook, Instagram, 
um, that's pretty much my way of, of putting my work out there. Word of mouth um, references, for instance, Monique. Monique is a um, is one of our pillars and mothers and mentors in the dance community. And um, she she has definitely, for me, have been pivotal. I'm sure Jazz can say the same thing, pivotal in really connecting us and helping advance what we're doing for the community. So I, I uh, often feel that um, our media in New Orleans uh, really does not um, give as much attention to our culture as it should. I mean, you do have the Lanyap and the Gambit and the, um, uh, you have, you know, I think they have one guy comes on once a week from where, uh, where Yat and, and talks about what's going on in town, but you, you really just don't have enough coverage. What, what do we have to do? What do we have to do in the marketing area? I think overall New Orleans just needs to level up. Like, I think um, New Orleans across the board just needs to level up. Level up? Um, yeah, like just everything, you know? What do you mean the arts? Because we have, a, we have so much to offer. It's just, it just needs to be, um, I think mentorships will be great too to reach out to, um, to, I guess, the younger generation. Like Dancing Grounds is doing a nice job of that. They're including the youth and letting them have a voice to create and um, opportunity. That's opportunity. So I think if we do um, level up for real, like even the streets, there's so much that we can do as a city to be better, um, I think we'll be in a better space. So the media, money, funding, exposure, just more programming. All right, so just starting from the top, we know we need funding. That's number one. Uh, we, need re we need resources. We need the same opportunities that LA artists, LA artists and New York artists receive, like residencies and programs, like she said. Um, with the funding, when we're able to get the funding and the resources and the opportunities, then we're able to actually package what it is that we, that we are trying to present. Um, packaging, um, I heard you mention earlier, is something that, yeah, New Orleans artists need to level up on. However, if you don't have the funding or you don't have the resources to level up, how could you? So funding, packaging, um, residencies, and then there was another thing that escaped me that New Orleans needs to help with marketing. And I think you were, you were, you were mentioning it, uh, Jean, and we need someone to critique we need, we need rhetoric. I feel like when you have rhetoric, you begin to build an archive. When you build an archive, you then have documentation of what's actually happened. The documentation that we're using right now is video and, um, and it, it's video recordings, some video recordings of the work. But I feel like when people start to get critiques of, of what's happening in New Orleans, then people will start to take New Orleans just a little bit. So by, by critiques, you really are talking about um, criticism, uh, art, cri uh, uh, critics who will write about what you're doing 
and, yes. and call attention to the things yes. you're doing. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. And we have and a I will be problem the, with and that. I will and I would be the first to jump on the bandwagon to start writing for it because I I I actually thought about doing something like that, but then I was just like, this is just way too time consuming. I don't have, but it's needed because it's it's docu the rhetoric is what's like when you get a review in the paper, that then goes on the internet and people's like, oh, okay, so person is doing this this is how they're doing it okay i'm looking forward to what else is happening in in new orleans so i believe rhetoric can really it's a small uh, it's a small little change in adjustment that needs to happen in new orleans but i think it'll be very impactful because i know just based off of some reviews i have you know well one or two reviews i've received you know people are just are more likely to hire me people are more, because i have a review i mean people are used to seeing that in in new york if you get a review in the in the new york times that's a huge thing so we need to make that a thing in new orleans ladies i so much appreciate this time with you and here's what i want you to do i want you to stay in touch I want you to send me your notices of things that you're doing, and I um, would be very happy to continue to uh, promote what you're doing. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Jean. We uh, have just all this talent on the show today. We have our incredible dancers, um, Jasmine and Jarrell, and um, now we have Shaka Zulu, who I want to call actually a leading crossover artist who is a Mardi Gras Indian, but is also an artist and is also a producer. So um, I, that's kind of a new version of crossover. Crossover used to mean your, your format in music um, would cross from one genre to another, but I'm using it in a different way in your case, because you're a multi-talented um, uh, fellow, and you are definitely looking at how to um, really develop your business, the business side of what you do. And I think that's very interesting and important. But let's start from the beginning. Um, Shaka Zulu um, is, as I understand it, and this is not something I knew beforehand, quite frankly, is the name of a, a chief uh, in history. And, and you have revived that name. Um, and uh, I, I want to understand how that came to be and um, how you came to be involved with uh, Masking Indians and how um, you are now translating that into the other uh, ways that you express your creative talent. So uh, that's a lot in one mouthful, but um, uh, uh, let's start at the beginning. H how did you start becoming interested in uh, actually being part of the Mardi Gras Indian culture of New Orleans? Uh I guess, you know, my, my, my father, um, his name is Zohar Israel. Um, so he had a performing arts company that dealt with mainly African tradition and Caribbean tradition, but he was born in New Orleans. So I was, I was born into this free spirit culture that we call uh, African carnival traditions of New Orleans. So, so the way we dealt with African traditions is at birth, you give the child a name that has a meaning to it. That means that child will live up to that name. Like King Chaka or Chaka Zulu was a king in South Africa. So my dad gave me that name. And the way they do it is you have seven days 
to seven months to name a child because they do a naming ceremony because they want that child to 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 live up to that name. So we have to watch for a while to see if that child vibration matches that name. So or they will change your name if you don't live up to it. So I understood that from a very early age. And so I was brought up in the stilt dancing tradition, which is an African tradition of stilting. And my dad had a performance arts company called Free Spirit that traveled the world, you know. So once again, it was African traditional work. So I was part of a masking tradition, which is stilting. I was initiated into a masking tradition before I became part of the masking tradition uh, as it relates to the Indian. So for me, it was a no brainer, but I'm also a musician. My dad's a musician and our family tradition is musicians and stilt dancers. So I got into the Indian tradition through the music. You know, I met this one guy, his name was Chief Smiley Ricks. And he had this group called Indians of the Nation. Um, I think it was the early 90s. So it was a lot of Indian chiefs that got together to, uh, to, to, uh, to do Indians some- Indians of the Nation. Right. So I did a lot of uh, the drum tracks on, on the Indians of the Nation album that they call Fet. So Smiley kind of was the first person that actually uh, talked about me actually becoming part of the the Indian tradition, even though I grew up as a kid and I had family members who masked and all that stuff, but I was concentrating more on the music of the Indian tradition as, we, as it relates to my masking tradition on the stilts. So me being the music component of Indians of the Nation, eventually I started masking. And, and, and the thing about masking was when I came in, Smiley was leaving out for a while. So then he was, became, what tribe do you wanna be in? So I usually, you know, being a leader, I don't just follow anybody. So if I followed somebody as a leader, they had to demonstrate to me that they have leadership capabilities. So I watched Tootie for a long time as a child with Yellow Pocahontas. And then I watched his son, Dallas Montana for a long time. And so I saw something being demonstrated as it relates to culture, uh, preservation, dedication, commitment, uh, 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 endurance, um, uh, craftsmanship. I've seen all of these different things. So, so Yellow Pocahontas was something that uh, caught me, even though musically I was traveling with Big Chief Donald Harrison Jr., um, you know, doing the music with him, traveling for a while as well. But when I decided on that tribe, I asked Dow Montana. I said, uh, I want to join the tribe, you know, because you usually can't just join, you're asking by the chief. So he said, well, why don't you go ask your wife? And I said, why ask my wife? He said, because your money and your time are going to be going into this. So I want to make sure that your family is on board. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he was like, cool, we'll try it out. And one of the things about Dow that I loved was he taught you from the very, very beginning as it relates to the history of the tribe, the history of what we're doing, even though I was versed in African traditions. Uh, as it relates to New Orleans, but from scratch, he wanted us to know how to build a suit from scratch to end. And not very many people know how to do that, you know, and it, not very many people can make a, their own suit in one year by themselves. But um, so he taught me all of that stuff. And, and I did over 20 years with uh, uh, Yellow Pocahontas before uh, wow. Chief Mike retired and um, eventually 
uh, at first I was supposed to take the game, but then I decided that I would, uh, you know, cause some tribes are family name tribes as it relates to the family. And some tribes are community tribes, even though that community, which was the six ward uh, uh, was uh, for yellow poker hunters as it relates to downtown. But I felt like the Montana name was so prominent to where I thought the tribe should remain the legacy of Tudor Montana and Dow Montana to where it reside in their family. So I decided to go with Golden Feather since we had the gallery and, and restaurant Golden Feather to name my tribe Golden Feather. So after wait, the wait, okay, wait, wait, wait. You can't go past that without explaining. So you had a what called Golden Feather, a restaurant and a what? And gallery. Um, cause, cause so what I want- already wanted, had a restaurant and a gallery by that name. And I still have a gallery by Golden Feather, right. But we was right at Congo Square um, on Rampart, 704 North Rampart. And I, and I was there for nine years before we decided to move it. Uh, we're gonna be in Treme area, uh, a little bit closer in, uh, probably the, by the end of this month. Where, maybe, where, in Treme, where in Treme are you moving to? I live in Treme. I don't want to uh, uh, North Robinson and St. Philip, you know, where the old Caledonia used to be back in the day. That's oh, where wow. we yeah. be there. So we're preparing for that now. But um, yeah, so I wanted to, because I wanted to have a place where- You, you said, know, I'm sorry, North Robertson and what? And uh, St. Philip. St. Philip, okay, go ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to have a place where, you know, people can come and get an in-depth conversation about the culture and the history of the culture and a great exhibit about the culture and have a cultural practitioner be able to tell about uh, that culture themselves. Um, uh, someone who can articulate it properly, have a lot of experience at practicing that particular culture. Uh, so I wanted to have an all-inclusive place. Not only that, the materials that we use to make these, these magnificent suits uh, for so many years, we always had to go out and find those materials. And a lot of them, we only had a couple places in New Orleans that you can find it, which was Miss Helen's, uh, Broadway Bound and Jefferson Variety. So a lot of the things that uh, we needed, we had to you know, either go to New York or, or go online and stuff like that. So I said, you know, what better place to, 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 uh, to, uh, to have as it relates to us being able to buy the materials from somebody that's in the culture. Because we know what our needs are better than anyone else, you know, because most of the places that we bought the materials from, they specialize in not just what we need, but other carnival traditions as well. So I want it to be a place where you can walk in there, get history of the suits, see suits on display, being able to articulate it by having lectures on the history of it, and you can buy all the materials to make a suit as a one-stop shop. So that's what Golden Feather was. So it was a family uh, business for us that, that, that did really, really well. Um, it was well received, especially our lunch and lecture thing that we did. We, we, we covered over 4,100 people per year through our uh, Road Scholar program, where a bus of 50 people will come in three, uh, three times a week. Uh, so we did that for about seven or eight years. Um, and that was very successful. So, you know, it was a no brainer for me to just carry the name Golden Feather into the tribe that um, I started a few years ago. 
um, after 20 something years of being with um, Yellow Poker Hunts. So what year was when you found uh, Golden Feather? Uh, 20, was it 27? 2018, I think it was. So we only, this would be our third year in uh, Golden Feather after uh, being in the Yellow Poker Hunters since 1999. Okay. All right, so um, now, again, I started off uh, pointing out that, um, and, and you've expanded tremendously on what I understood that you do. So um, we were talking about, you know, being a Mardi Gras Indian, but also uh, really uh, generating a, a whole kind of business model around it. So uh, we, we hear all the time in New Orleans about how culture bears have not benefited from the tourism industry and how we really need to look to how to advance um, a, a better equation there. We, we market our city based on um, the authentic, our authentic culture, which is very much embodied by um, our, our masking Indians, but um, uh, not enough people are benefiting. But you've, you've kind of worked on that formula. I'm sure you'd love more help and to do better, but um, you're, you're on that path of, of, um, of marrying your uh, authentic culture to, um, quite frankly, commerce and the opportunity to support yourself and your family through your culture. Um, explain to me, uh, you know, what, what is the core to your thinking about um, doing that? Is that, you know, because you've always, you know, because of your father's business uh, involvements, is that kind of, did that help you think about this with that dual mission of, of uh, conveying and, and living the culture, but also making sure that you can generate income from it? I think uh, it came from uh, my father, of course. Uh, my dad said something to me when I was a kid um, that I, it stuck with me my entire life, you know, and I'm over 50 now. He said that I never held the job and I've never been evicted from my house. Um, he said the creator give you a gift for you to make a life out of. So, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you need to do in life, uh, it's going to become, it's going to be natural for you. And, and what's natural for you as it relates to it being uh, an easier process that may actually be your calling. So, um, so I watched him for many years uh, be, become very successful at that. And, and I grew up and I had a performing arts company called Zulu Connection that traveled the world. It was a, a African drum and dance and Caribbean drum and dance that my wife and I over uh, 24 years started in 1995. So, so I already had a business mindset mindset as it relates to culture from, you know, early experiences in watching my dad and performing with him around the country. So it was a no brainer for me to just take that and uh, develop it into uh, watching some of the things that he did that was good versus some of the things he didn't corrected those problems and apply it to, to my company. So I think I had a little jump on people because I had an experience of seen something as it relates to a cultural business that worked for so long to where, you know, I, I had the confidence to, to just go out there and put everything that I had into it. And also being in New Orleans was, was very tough because if you, if you understand New Orleans and this uh, corner of our traditions, 
uh, as it relates to uh, what we call this Indian thing, you know, it was mainly oral traditions, right? And the danger in oral traditions is um, if you don't document your culture, people may document it for you and that documentation doesn't have to be accurate. So I just saw so much about us without us playing a role into that documentation to where it prompted me to start really thinking about stepping out forward to uh, become a voice in that. And the only way you can maintain it or preserve it is to have an economic component to it. And we have been left out of that uh, position for so many years to where I was making sure that I put more focus on that part of it to be able to make sure that this, this culture sticks around, you know, because in order to teach it to your women and children for it to carry on, you know, you have to be able to survive uh, culturally, uh, economically. So, so for me, it was just, you know, I couldn't do one without the other. And so I shaped my, my, my mindset in that format to be able to, uh, to, to do it that way. And, and so far it has worked for me. How would you um, give me give me some kind of just bullets on the infrastructure of your culture and commerce paradigm that you're working with right now? So you know, just you do this, 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 and this. Um, I still have a performing arts company called Zulu Connection. That's one business. The other thing is one of the most expensive parts of this Indian culture is the feathers, right? And they're about $400, $450 a pound. So each chief wear between three and 10 pounds of feathers. So it gives you some idea of how expensive that process is to actually mask this culture. But what you realize about it is that bird doesn't live in America, you know, uh, that ostrich feather, it doesn't live in America. So, so we had to go to places that were retailers to uh, to uh, to buy that. And, and if you understand retail business, uh, you know they can price gouge your culture away from you because they can charge pretty much what they want to. So my wife and I decided that we would do research on that bird, find out where the bird lives, where it's from. And, and, and one of the things that I, I realized about the ostrich bird was uh, uh, we thought it was uh, poultry since it's a bird, but really it's red meat, which is some of the most uh, expensive uh, meat on the market um, uh, in the world. So, um, so we actually partnered with uh, a company to become a distributor of the, uh, the ostrich plume feathers. So we the, the feather distributor in the Southeast region um, of the plumes. So uh, we became the Southeast region distributor. So that way we were able to cut the prices down. And we also through our nonprofit, which is Better Family Life. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a national organization that's over 40 years old that's headquartered in St. Louis. We're a chapter here. So again. Better Family Life Incorporated. And we the New Orleans chapter. There's chapters around the country. Um, and so we became the chapter here and used that nonprofit uh, model to be able to have initi initiatives to, uh, to get feathers and uh, uh, to raise money to be able to give feathers to some of the elder Indian chiefs 
that weren't able to, uh, um, to afford to mask. Because one of the things we learned about this tradition was it was a lot of elders that weren't masking. It never said why. And we found out because sometimes it's just, you know, they own fixed incomes and it's too expensive. So doing that, we partnered with another company that's a brewery out of, uh, of Asheville, North Carolina called Burial Brewery through Leaf International. Burial, B-U-R-I-A-L? Yeah. yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and we was performing at a festival called the Leaf Festival. L-E-A-F dot org is their site. And uh, it's, a, it's a music festival that we performed at over 20 years. And Burial was one of their sponsors, which was a brewery. So we connected with Burial and Burial helped us uh, uh, develop a beer called, you know, and I put my signature, I became the face of it. And uh, this is my fifth year with the beer. And every year they will put my soup on a can and, and, it, and it's distributed through uh, uh, international wine cellars. And then Whole Food, uh, they will do a, a few thousand cases and the proceeds from those sales of that beer goes to the Feather Fund. To and the Feather Fund? Give feathers to some of the uh, elder to Indians. Elders. Wow. Yeah, that was a whole bunch of components. It's a whole bunch of hats I'm wearing, but all of it is related to being able to survive and preserve this culture because it's so rich and the world should uh, definitely know about it. So that's just another initiative uh, with the beer, uh, the feathers. I'm also a stilt dancer and through Better Family Life, we do youth programming. So I'm teaching the kids drumming and stilt dancing and, and, and beating and, and, and all of these uh, healthy foods. And so we're doing a lot of stuff on, every Saturday we meet with, the, with our youth group. And uh, so we just doing a whole bunch of stuff that's not seen. Uh, and, and also we got uh, Voices of Congo Square and I think you'll probably get into that at some point, which is a theater production about the uh, black carnival traditions of New Orleans. We're telling a 300-year-old story uh, of that tradition through music, song, and dance. And because uh, Voices of Congo Square really was about us having a voice and people want to hear that voice. And not, only, not all the time we had the platform to be able to speak so people can hear that voice. So we decided to put together this production that's a 33-member cast. So it's very, very large. Um, and we've done it uh, quite a few times and we had a tour scheduled. scheduled. Uh, we were supposed to do the Sanger Theater, the Martin's Vineyard and some other places in Europe, but COVID kind of shut that down to where now we have to stream it uh, actually tomorrow, December 11th, but it's a world premiere stream. It's in uh, all of Europe, Canada, North America, India, Japan. And so it's a very, very uh, a big thing that's happening where people can see some of those traditions around the world because not all the time uh, people that come in through tourism to New Orleans are able to see those hidden uh, 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 off the beaten path cultures that's so profound uh, that makes up the black carnival traditions of New Orleans. So that's another wait, that relates. Wait, before, before you go past that, um, <clears throat> so you said streaming around the world through what um, vehicle? It's an organization out of, uh, we with uh, Tunskin Monkey, which is uh, William, a great friend of mine who's a filmmaker. 
that we partnered with. And he also partnered with uh, uh, Carlos, who works with them well. He's out of Barcelona, Spain, that company called Livestream VCN. So we all got together to go through Dice platform, uh, which is out of Europe, uh, London, I think. And they're gonna stream uh, a two hour and eight minute show of Voices of Congo Square. And Tell I think- Is that William Sovereign? Yeah, that's William. Okay. Which is yeah. who we- That's how I heard about the event that you have this weekend, which I just wanna yeah. make sure we get in. Um, yeah. William Film our production. Uh, did a great job, and uh, so we, you know, we decided to partner on this stream, which is a uh, very, very good for uh, for us. And the stream you called it live stream DCM. How does how does somebody who wants to watch this uh, this weekend? And I understand it's Friday and Saturday. Is that correct? Yeah, it's Friday at eight p.m. in the U.S. market, yeah. and Saturday is in the Asian and uh, Europe market. But if you go to Voices of Congo Square, uh, Facebook or Instagram, or, uh, or, or, or uh, you can uh, get a lot of information on that. Uh, VoicesofCongoSquare.com? Yeah, Voices of Congo Square. Dot um, com? Uh, dot com, or you can go to Facebook. I'm not really sure because uh, we have people working on our social media stuff and all of that. And I'm, I'm not a part of the process. So I hope I'm not saying anything wrong. But if, like I said, if you go uh, uh, like us on Facebook and- um, uh, I just lost your father. Congo Square, Instagram, you'll get a lot of information. But they can buy a ticket um, uh, through uh, Dice FM. There's a link uh, that you go and buy tickets. Dice, D-I-C-E, FM. Yeah. yeah. Buy tickets. Streaming platform, you're right. Okay. Now, uh, have a web. Do you want to do, do, do you want to offer some tickets complimentary to people who are listening to the show, um, which the show will air tomorrow, uh, Friday, uh, the eleventh at um, noon. Um, so uh, I, I got to be honest and tell you, I'm not exactly sure um, how to structure this. Uh, so between now and tomorrow, I will have figured it out. And, yeah. um, and we also have some tickets available for you to, you know. That's what I'm saying. We want to uh, offer them. But I, I, we'll have to talk about it right now because um, the show is not done live. It's done strictly through these recordings right now because of COVID. So yeah. um, uh, tell people what phone number can they call to uh, snare a uh, one of the tickets that you're offering. I think it should be probably straight to you. Yes, and that's uh, area code 404-695-6913. So if somebody's watching the show right now as we're speaking, um, they and they want to get a free ticket to the stream of your show, what's the name of the show? Uh, New Orleans Voices of Congo Square. Oh, that's the name of the show. Okay, um, they can call 404-695-6913. I'm gonna say that one more time, 404-695-6913. Okay, yes. hopefully some people caught that uh, maybe when we uh, are almost finished with the interview, which is close. 
um, I will um, say it one more time. I'll say it one more time right now. 404-695-6913. My head is uh, spinning, okay? I don't know how you handle, and you probably have another five things to tell me that you do, but I've got to stop there because it's, uh, I'm overwhelmed. And it is really quite remarkable and interesting. And I think uh, Shaka Zulu, what really seems to be in order, and I think you're kind of doing this, but maybe it has to be a little bit more structured and supported, is sharing your business acumen with other people practicing the culture of the city. And so uh, I'd like to talk with you more about that. And um, I, I think you're headed in that direction. You're already doing it, but let's, let's talk about how that can be um, enhanced. But let me, um, let me, uh, I, I wanna, I wanna uh, uh, ask this question of a lot of people because this is kind of um, very much a question on the minds of people right now. Two questions, one, how has this culture survived this long without the kind of entrepreneurial know-how and intentionality that you and your dad have had? That's question one. And question two, how do you define culture bearer? Because there's some controversy over that right now. And I want to hear your um, perspective on that. Well, I think um, the way the culture survived in New Orleans, I could honestly say that when you are willing to do a culture for free, then there's no amount of money that anybody can pay you to control that culture. Um, so that's one way that it survive, you know, because nobody is paying us to do it. Um, you know, the culture is self-funded and self-sustained. And I would say self-taught because most of us we learn it from the cultural keepers. Uh, so that's one way that it survived because we are willing to do it just for culture's sake. And, and when you're able to, to put that type of work and dedication into something for the sake of culture, then more than likely that culture is gonna be around for a while, okay? So uh, the, the second uh, question was, uh, I think I lost my train of thought a little bit. It was about- uh, The second question is the definition of a culture bearer. Gotcha. I always say culture keeper because nobody's usually the bearer of good news, <laughs> even though the word is used loosely, a culture bearer, but a cultural keeper is one that dedicate the life to the preservation, the education and innovation of a particular way of life. You know, people call it culture, but you know, we do this for life. This is not something that we're performing. This is a part of our lives, you know? So uh, that's one way to, to recognize a cultural keeper. The other way is uh, tenure, dedication, commitment to the women and children, because we always learn that to, to know how healthy a culture is, is by judging the condition of that culture's women and children. So if you see that the women and children are not doing well, that's a sign of a not so good culture. So culture for me is how you treat people, 
your character, having good character, what you put in your body, and and what you do to make sure that when you're gone, that that particular culture will still be around. So that's a cultural uh, a keeper uh, for me. And uh, uh, people use it loosely. Uh, many people self-proclaim it, but I think you know anybody that's that's smart enough to to to, to see things and actually believe what they're seeing because I, I find that when people show you who they are, believe them. Uh, so a cultural bearer, a cultural keeper is someone who have watched you demonstrate that for so long and they actually give you that title. You can't give yourself that, that title like some people do. So for me, that's what a, a cultural keeper is. Chaka Zulu, um, this has been a um, very important conversation for me because, uh, I, of course, I live on the periphery of that culture. I've been here since the early 70s. I was a broadcast reporter and, and covered the, the marches and the funerals and, and have been um, affected by it uh, viscerally, but not with a real deeper knowledge. And to hear you talk has been um, really important. And uh, I look forward to continuing our conversation, but before we check off for now, and we'll continue our conversation going forward, I want you to remind everybody about the streaming of the show um, Friday and Saturday and how to get to it. So let's just close with that, if you would please. Yes, Voices of Congo Square will be streamed December 11th at 8 p.m. in the North American market. And you can uh, go to Facebook, Voices of Congo Square, or you can follow us on Instagram. There's a lot of in uh, information about it, but it's streamed through uh, Dice FM, which is the streaming platform. And when you go to, those, uh, to, to, to that uh, uh, website or Voices of Congo Square website or or Facebook or Instagram, they have multiple slots where uh, you can buy tickets uh, for that event. But uh, once again, it's December 11, 8 p.m. Um, uh, on tomorrow, Friday. Those okay. people are so anxious to uh, see it and uh, don't want. How much is how much are the tickets? Uh, I think they're twenty dollars for a two-hour and eight-minute show. Wow! Did you say two hours? Yeah, it's a, it's a full production. It's a, Damn. It's a full, right? Okay. But uh, for those folks who would like to um, do that and not have to pay the price um, to get some uh, complimentary tickets, you need to call 404-695-6913. The quantity is limited, so you need to call as you are hearing this, 404-695-6913. Shaka Zulu, thank you. I look forward to visiting you. Having me, I appreciate it. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Some good information, maybe a little fun. And um, I wanted to let you know that we have a newsletter that goes out just in advance of the show. You can sign up for it simply by going to crosstownconvos at gmail.com. And uh, it's got a lot more stuff in it, a lot more articles and images and uh, information on the guests who are on. So um, think about it. Sign up if you'd like. I'm Jean Nathan for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK, what people are talking about.